Well, this morning, we're continuing our sermon series we started last week in which we were looking at one chapter of books from the Bible. There's a handful of them, and, and most of them are at the end of the New Testament. And we looked at 2 John, and this week we're looking at 3 John. And um, I encourage you, um, if you are still there in your Bibles, to stay there with me. Or if you want, you can find Bibles. Or there should be some scattered here and there uh, in, the ch- in the chair racks in front of you. Or if you want, you can just kind of listen and follow along. There will be some verses uh, on the screen. Also, a uh, reminder, last week we started something a, a couple weeks ago called Version. And so I know a lot of people like to follow along uh, on their uh, smartphones or whatever. Uh, you can go on there. Uh, there's information about that in the worship guide sermon notes, as well as some application and poll questions. We'd love to get feedback from you. So now, a little bit of context about 3 John. Just like 2 John, 3 John is, is a very personal and specific letter uh, which is pertaining to circumstances in a local church. And in this instance, there are three individuals that John addresses or mentions in this short letter. The first person is found in the first verse in the uh, opening salutation. To my dear friend Gaius whom I love in the truth. And then John uses the next seven verses to offer encouragement and instruction to this friend, this man named Gaius. The next person is found in verse 9, and John draws a a really sharp contrast between Gaius and this man named Diotrephes. Listen to what he has to say about him in verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. And then in verses 10 and 11, John tells us more about this guy, Diotrephes, and what he's been doing. And then finally, the third person is introduced in verse 12. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, what's the situation here, and who are these three guys with strange names? Well, as I said, third John is a letter, and it wasn't a letter addressed to a general audience. Otherwise, he would have begun with, to whom it may concern, and then given instructions. It's a specific letter, and these are real people who we believe were part of a small house church, which would have been founded by John on an earlier missionary journey. And so there are probably no more than 30, 40, or 50 people in this house church, a small church. And the reason John is writing them is because there is conflict in the church. Surprise. I mean, churches are full of people. We're not perfect. We're going to have conflict and disagreements once in a while. But this one seems to be much more serious, pretty major. There's a power struggle in the church. And the cause of this is this man, Diotrephes. We can see it in verses 10 and 11. He says, uh, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. So obviously, this guy doesn't like John very much, and he's trying to turn people in the church against him. Pick it up again. Verse 10, not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Not very Christ-like, is it? So Diotrephes is, is spreading lies about John, but he's also trying to close rank and, and shut out everybody except for those people who are already in the church. And those already in the church who want to be more outward focused and, and welcoming of people, he stops them and even kicks them out of the church. Now, word to the wise here. Uh, if you're ever part of a church or a ministry that tries to control who can come into worship and who kicks out those who they don't like, run. That's how cults get started. Churches are meant to empower those who enter the church doors, not control them. The doors of a church should be open for all, not slammed shut for just a few. Anyhow, John writes Gaius, who's already in the church, to encourage him for 
for his faithful service and outreach. He's, a, he's one of the people in the church that is, it is wel- who is welcoming people into the church. We hear this in verse 5. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. In other words, thanks for reaching out and opening the doors to the people that you don't even know. Thanks for doing that. And then regarding Demetrius, we can tell from verse 12, he's a, he's a representative, an intermediary sent by John to kind of peacemake in this, this church conflict. Now, you're probably thinking, that's nice and all, sort of nice information, but what does this have to do with Mother's Day and, and graduation? Um, well, what does this first century small church conflict have to do with you and me? Well, I'll tell you, in this short book, we're going to find a, a great gift, the best gift, really, for mothers and parents and, and dads. And we'll see a great challenge for all of us, but especially for our graduates. First, the gift for mothers. Verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. There is no greater joy, John says, than for a mother or a father to hear and to know that her children are following Jesus Christ in truth and love. You know, as I get older and I've been a parent longer, the more this is the most important desire I have for my children, that they would be found walking in the truth. Because over the years, I've desired many things for my kids, most of them pretty good things. I've wanted them to, to do their best academically because education is important. And I've hoped for them to have success in their chosen interests, whether it's music or, or athletics or, or, or whatever. I've wanted them to have social success as well so that they would have friends, they'd feel accepted, included, that they fit in and they'd learn how to do healthy relationships. I've wanted these things and many, many other things, and they're all good things. I'm sure all of you as parents and grandparents want these for your kids and, and your grandkids. But if, but if in life our children have all these things, success in all these areas and more, but they don't walk in the truth, if they don't follow Jesus, they have missed the point of life as God has intended it. And the great tragedy is that it seems many in our culture have missed this point and neglect or de-emphasize spiritual things in their children's lives. Even in the church, it's easy to do. We're so busy, so stressed. There's so many things pulling at us. And so over the years, I've prayed, not perfectly, mind you, but I've prayed among many things for Anna and J.D. and Reed, that they would walk in the truth, that they would find friends who accept them, but also who point them and encourage them in their faith toward Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would feel comfortable in their own skin and they would like who they are and they would realize they are a gift created in God's image, one of a kind. And I pray that they would figure out God's plans for them and that they'd love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. They'd go deeper in their relationship with Christ and they would go further in their mission that God gives them in this world. And so all you graduates out there, and you confirmands, the best gift you can give your mom today on Mother's Day and for all the Mother's Day in the, in the future is that she knows that you walk in the truth. As you walk out the door into the next chapter of life, as you walk across the stage and get a diploma or a Bible this morning, as you walk onto your college campus for the first time or through the door of your first job, if your greatest gift for your parents is if you walk with Jesus as you walk through life. Now, of course, this isn't easy, is it? 
In fact, it can and it will get harder. I remember thinking this when I was getting ready to go to college, in my last year of high school. When I get to college, then it'll be easier to live out my faith. It won't be as much peer pressure, and, and it'll be a little bit easier to do that. Uh, you see, I was, I was blessed with great parents and grandparents. I was part of a godly church that focused on the Word of God and people who did their best to walk in the truth. But my high school was small, and this is no lie. My first close Christian friend was my freshman year at KU. So it was not easy for me always to, to live out my faith and to walk in the truth. And so I remember thinking, when I get to college, it'll be easier. But Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So I've discovered as I've moved from high school to college, into marriage and into parenthood, that walking in the truth is not easy. And it doesn't just happen. It takes much more than that. It takes faithfulness. You know, when I, uh, when I went to uh, college, I, I lived in a fraternity and I heard all the animal house jokes. Um, and there were a couple of upperclassmen in, in the house who, who walked in the truth. And they took it upon themselves. There were four or five of us guys who were trying to do our best to live for Christ. And they took it upon themselves um, to disciple us. And, and one of the phrases that they would often use that stuck with me was they said they were looking for fat Christians. They didn't mean overweight. That was a description of the type of person that they believed God would most powerfully use. Fat. Faithful. Available. And teachable. And I found that true in life and ministry as well. The people God uses most powerfully are those who are faithful. Joshua said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Those who are available. Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord, send me. And those who are teachable. David, in the Psalms, wrote, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. So when we go off to work or college or whatever, be faithful, walk in the truth, and I hope you're fat. But avoid the freshman 15, by the way. So. For the next part of our challenge, and to flesh out what it means to be faithful to the truth, Let's look at John's dear friend Gaius again. Verse 5, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. And then this added on. They have told the church about your love. So the way they treated people really left an impression on people. And, and in fact, people were telling them about these, these people. They really, they're legit. They're authentic. They, they love us. Now, this is important because it shows the depth of our love for Christ. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. How we treat people is a direct reflection of our relationship with God. Another way of saying that is what we read earlier in 1 John, and I'll read parts of it again. If we love God, John wrote, we will love others. He said, this is how we know we love God. If we obey God's commands and we love others, we know that we love God. And that's what Gaius did. You know, a, a good way to, to judge a person's character and their love for God is to watch how they treat others. For instance, if, uh, for example, if you're dating somebody, um, a good thing to do is to observe how your girlfriend or your boyfriend treats their parents and their siblings. 
If they treat them well, that's a good sign. If they don't, proceed with caution. Be careful. If they don't treat those they live with with love and respect, I'm not talking about perfection. I mean, I know there's issues sometimes. But if they don't, in general, treat them with love and respect, why would you think it would be any different if you end up marrying them and have your own family? You know, compassion literally means with passion, with feeling. In other words, a person who has compassion relates to others, relates to others with, with feeling and with their heart. They're invested. It costs them something. They give something of themselves. And a person who does this, it doesn't matter who the other person is. And it doesn't matter how long they've known them, where they're from, what they do. It doesn't matter to them what they can do for you. Jesus loved us despite our sins and failings and flaws. And if we want to walk in the truth, we must be faithful by loving others as Jesus Christ loved them and loves us. Finally, verse 7. It was for the sake of the name that they went out. You know, I mentioned earlier some of the things that I, and I know many of you, prayed for your children. Some of them have prayed for me. I, I, for my children, I appreciate the prayers for, for my children. And there's something that comes from this verse. It was for the sake of the name. Because it gets to the issue of motivation in life. You know, one of the biggest hopes parents have for their kids when they go off to college or, or to work and live on their own is, is that they will live a life that's balanced, that they'll use their time well, that they'll be self-disciplined, that they'll keep their priorities straight and balance academics and social life and activities and things like that. And those are all important, and they're all part of, of, a, of a great college experience. And the reason there's a big hope but also a big concern is because more than a few of us struggled sometimes with that when we were in college, and so we know what it's like. You see, the choices that we make, whether it's going from middle school to high school, or from high school to college, or for any of us, the choices we make determine the person we will become. And the choices we make will determine our future. If we want to grow as a student, as a person, and most importantly, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to do all things from the motivation, the sake of Jesus Christ and his name. And this is important because there are two kinds of people in this regard. There are those of us who are externally motivated. In other words, we're motivated by outside forces and people. Or those who are internally motivated, who have a drive and an ambition within them. And those who are most successful in anything in life are those who are motivated from within. Because there's a God-given drive within all of us to accomplish, to achieve, to do, and to create. And that's a good thing. But sometimes that can become unhealthy. And that ambition and drive and motivation can turn into a self-centered life that uses other people to get what they want and to get to where they want to go. But when coming from a healthy place, it's a powerful force which empowers people to do great things far beyond what they dreamed or, or hoped for. And my challenge for you this morning is that your primary driving motivation as you go off to school or as you move up into high school, as we go off into our lives, our primary motivation would be for the sake of Jesus' name, for the glory of Jesus Christ and, and his name. Now, I've got to confess to you that even though most of the time I tried to make that my motivation in college, there were times and it wasn't my primary motivation. It kind of ebbed and flowed at times, and that's the experience for most of us. 
For example, there were times my primary motivation was I wanted to meet that cute blonde in chemistry class. Or I wanted to kind of make sure I hung on to that A in, in, in organic chemistry or calculus. Or I wanted to get to the donut shop before it closed at midnight. Good things. But the primary motivation in our lives should be to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Final thing. If your faith is externally motivated, if you go to church and do the Christian thing because it's what your parents expect of you or your spouse expects of you or your employer, whatever, you know, friends, you will struggle to walk in the truth. But if your faith is your own, if you're internally motivated to live a life for Christ, the sky's the limit. And you'll make your mother and your father and your grandparents and, of course, most importantly, me, very happy and very proud. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. May that be your Mother's Day present and your Father's Day present for the next several years until the day that your time on earth ends. Happy Mother's Day. And congratulations to our graduates and congratulations to our complement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for these words from John, which really encourage us to, to follow you and to live for you, to be faithful to you. And so, Father, I simply pray that for each person here today, but especially those of our young people who are moving into a, a different stage of life, uh, that we would be people who are faithful, that we are people who are available, that we are people who are teachable, and that our primary motivation in life would be to do all for the sake of the precious name of Jesus Christ. We, press, we pray, pray, O Lord, of your blessing upon our graduates, our confirmands, and their mothers today, through Christ our Lord. Amen.